0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
1: Maybe nobody can see it, but I can. I can. We don't want to presume on the riches of his kindness and his patience. We don't want to assume that we're okay. We don't want to fall into the trap of being outwardly moral and somehow think that that's good enough because God does not grade on the curve. We have no place for moral superiority. We were all in the same boat and God has pulled us out of the boat and we should grieve for those who are still stuck in that boat and want to see them out of that boat too. I can
0: see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in e- your love is my battle cry, the anthem for all my life. Every giant will fall, the mountains will move. Every chain of the past you've broken into All the fear of the lies, we're singing the truth that nothing is impossible. Hello and welcome to the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've joined us today for the broadcast, and as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. As we continue today on our journey through the Book of Romans, we'll be hearing a message that Pastor Keith has entitled, Your Questions Answered. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the book of Romans, chapter 3. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: Our own little picture of Dorian Gray, if you know the story. And so the first category of respectable sin that we want to avoid falling into is this, outward morality, outward morality. You could call that the, this type of thinking, I'm okay because she's not okay. Okay. I'm okay because I'm not as bad as he is, is an outward morality. I don't do those things. I've got my own little things I do, but God doesn't care. Nobody knows. Outward morality. Where do we find it? We find it in verses 1 through 6. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, because every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. Yeah, you know, you know, these things are bad and, and they shouldn't do them. But I can at least think them. I mean, it's not the same. That's what he's saying here. We're practicing the very same kinds of things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. It's a given. But then there's the invisible but. Do you, suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and then do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath on yourself. When I read that, it hurts. It hits a little too close to home sometimes. You know, the things I don't want to do or the things that I do, the things that I do want to do, I don't. Sometimes I think of the stupid things I say and do at home with my family, you know. And I read this. And know that outward morality is no excuse. In verse 2, Paul says, yeah, we know those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, who choose not to acknowledge and honor God as God, but exchange the truth of God for a lie. They suffer the consequences. He says, but don't forget to take a long, hard look at yourself. Your little rituals and your little outward things, your ability to acknowledge your own sin in the abstraction. Yes, I sin, but that guy really sins. That kind of thing doesn't fly with God. You know, we like to compare ourselves to other people. Years and years ago when I was in the resort business, there were three hotels in competition. There was the Westin, the Hyatt, and there was the hotel that I worked at. And I remember talking to my staff and somebody saying, well, Mr. Crosby, yes, we didn't do so good this week, but you should have seen the Hyatt or the Westin. And I would say, I don't care about the Hyatt. the West. It's like personal best time. We're in Olympic competition for survival, and we need to do better than we've ever done before regardless of how poorly they do. And that's kind of the concept beside, but behind be holy for the, I, the Lord your God, am holy. Jesus said a teacher, a student isn't, ab- isn't above his teacher, a, a slave isn't above his master. God has called us to be salt and light in this community in a fallen world. And we're not to cut ourselves any slack. Because Christ paid for that slack on the cross. We're not allowed pet sins. We, we can't take comfort in subtle sins. We can't nurture them or feed them. We can't. And that's what he's warning us of. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, Look, before you go judging somebody else, take the log out of your own eye. Then you can see clearly to take the speck out of theirs. Outward morality. Oh, let me go fix you. I'll get back to fixing me some other time. And all the time, they're always fixing you, fixing you, fixing you. They never fix themselves. Do you presume on the righteousness, on the riches of his kindness? We can't afford to presume on his grace. To assume that his patience with us is anything like approval. We've been called as believers to a higher standard. A higher standard of love, patience, peace, kindness, self-control. We don't get angry at other people's sin, we grieve. Blessed are they that. We don't hunger for revenge, we hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We're not peace breakers, we're peacemakers. We're reconcilers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons and daughters of God. We can never afford to think we're better because we don't do all those things. We commit enough mayhem of our own, don't we? A really beautiful and sad picture at the same time, beautiful in the sense that it's clear, is in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. You have a picture of outward morality, and you have a picture of a broken, repentant heart juxtaposed and contrasted next to one another. This is a story, this is a parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, and it starts like this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Outward morality, the legalist, the Pharisee, well, I'm not like these people. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Ouch. That hits too close to home sometimes. Verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Watch the verdict here. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee is the picture of the outwardly moral man who checks the boxes, who, try, who does all the right things outwardly. But look at his inner, his, look at his inner man. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not like those people in Romans one eighteen to thirty two. Those people, gossips and morale or this tax collector here. I'm righteous in my own sight. And what Paul is saying in Romans chapter two, as you know better avoid that kind of outward morality because it could be an indication of an inwardly dead spirit who doesn't know Christ. He says, avoid that. He says, you know, you condemn all these things and God is going to condemn all these things, but be careful that you don't do the same kinds of things. Granted, murder, all this stuff has much greater collateral damage than irritability, than impatience, than sarcasm. But you know what? Sin is sin and sin kills. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you know a tree by the fruit it bears. And he's saying in Romans 2, be careful of the fruit. Maybe nobody can see it, but I can. I can. We don't want to presume on the riches of his kindness and his patience. We don't want to assume that we're okay. Okay. We don't want to fall into the trap of being outwardly moral and somehow think that that's good enough because God does not grade on the curve. We have no place for moral superiority. We were all in the same boat and God has pulled us out of the boat and we should grieve for those who are still stuck in that boat and want to see them out of that boat too. Which brings us to our, our next uh, category of respectable sin. And this one is particularly a uh, insidious one. And that is pretended neutrality in debate and in apologetics. Apologetics is sort of a pre-evangelism thing where you defend your faith before you explain it to somebody else. And sometimes people in debate or you'll talk to somebody, you want to talk to somebody about Jesus, and he'll say, well, you know, I'd like to believe, but there's just not enough evidence. And no, you know, God's not going to hold me accountable for it, I don't know. He's not that unfair, is he? Or you'll have somebody say, well, what about the person living on a mountaintop in the Himalayas? Or what about a young child in the rainforest of the Amazon? And pretended neutrality is the assumption that people don't know better, that people really don't know right and wrong. They don't know that they're displeasing to God or that what you don't know in the Bible can't hurt you. And you want to avoid that like the plague. It's kind of a self-deception, a spiritual blindness, self-imposed, but it's pretended. Where do we see that? We see that in Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. I want you to watch this. I want you to watch the first statement that God makes through the pen of the Apostle Paul. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. There you go. Nobody innocent out there, right? None, okay? And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So outward morality, you know better, don't do it. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. There's a lot going on here. And we can't unpack it all here today, but what we're basically saying is there is no pretense for pretension. When it says in the Bible that there's none righteous, no not one, that there's none who seeks for God, it means that. We've already studied Romans one eighteen to thirty two that God has revealed Himself to everybody through all that has been made, that their consciences know right from wrong. You think about it. You know, I just think about my little girls. They're not so little anymore, but you know, before they did something bad, they always. Looked around. Why did they look around for it? Because they knew it was wrong. Why are most crimes committed at night? Because people don't know better. No, because nobody wants to be seen doing this, that, or the other. Why do people gossip in private? Because they know it's wrong. God has put eternity in our hearts. He's revealed himself to us. He's made us known. He's made his ways known. We bear his image and his imprint. And he has put in us, by nature, hardwired morality and awareness of right and wrong. And that's why... The Gentiles, and the Gentiles in Romans is a, is a code word, is a label for those who don't know God or his word. And he's talking to the Jews, but he could be talking to the church today. You know better. Don't do these things. Don't pretend you didn't know. Because even the Gentiles know better. That is a frightening thing. He, he says uh, in verses 8 through uh, 11, basically, for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, For them, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first, first and foremost, and also the Greek. And the Greek means those who don't know, those who aren't Jewish, those who haven't received the law of Moses. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. Look at verse 11. For God shows no partiality. God doesn't play favorites. Everybody is held to the same standard, and that's the standard of God's righteousness. Some know more about it, some understand it viscerally. And that's why it says this in Psalm 142 through three. When somebody says, I didn't know, I didn't know this was wrong. I didn't know there was a God, I didn't know. That's pretended neutrality. Everybody comes to the table with their presuppositions, we get that. Everybody comes to the table with their own biases, we understand that. But there's nobody who's ever lived who didn't know that God is. And in Psalm 142 through three, we see this. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not even one. This is repeated again in Psalm 53, and and we're going to see it in in, in Romans chapter 3. You know, we like to believe that man is basically good, but he's not, because if he's basically good, he'd seek God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, but he doesn't do that. Is there one person who seeks after God on his own? No. Nobody's neutral. Don't ever believe it. And don't pretend that you are either. Because in verse 14 in chapter 2, it says, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves. We have, and in, in our genetic code, if you want to call that, a morality, in our DNA, we, ha- we know right and wrong. When you look at all the cultures in the world, no matter how far flung they are, if you steal, you get in trouble. If you commit murder, you get in trouble. If you take another person's spouse, you get in trouble. You practice sexual perversion, you get in trouble. There's no such thing. There is no neutrality, only a pretended one. And ignorance is no excuse because everybody knows. Which brings us to our third category of respectable sin that we need to be careful of. And that is a surface spirituality. A surface spirituality. It reminds us that knowledge of God does not equal salvation. And we pick this up in verse 21 all the way to 29. You then who teach others, he's talking to the Jewish people. Do you not teach yourself while you preach against stealing? Do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Verse 28, for the one who is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, no, for no one is a Jew who is one merely outwardly, nor is circumcision outward or physical, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from men, but from God. What's he saying here? He's saying, you know, outward, outward morality, pretended neutrality, he's saying, even a shallow spirituality is no good doesn't matter what your traditions are. God looks at the heart. You could move this and fast forward this into the church age, and he could say this, but a Christian is one inwardly, and baptism is a matter of the heart. Baptism is not outward and physical. It's spiritual by the Spirit, not by the letter. You know, a lot of times we think we're Christians because we're born in a Christian, or because we sit in a Christian church building, or because we have a, an outward morality, because we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But if we haven't surrendered to that, it's all on the surface. You can pray a prayer. You can be baptized. You can do all these outward things. These outward symbols are to remind us of an inward truth that has to pervade the very fabric of our being. That has to saturate who we are. So when the heat is put on us, we sweat gospel. And it's not merely a surface thing. It's not merely a paint by the numbers thing. This is the sad thing. You know, we did a little responsive reading today. I love that. I don't, have a, I don't have a problem with responsive readings. I don't have a problem with some liturgy. I don't have a problem with anything like that. What happens though sometimes is we replace that outward symbol with inward sanctifying eternity-changing truth. And he's warning against that. See, God doesn't look at appearances; He looks at the whole. And you can be spirit. You can have a shallow spirituality, but not have a Christ-filled, grace-filled eternity in store. I'm reminded a picture of this is David. When Samuel is told to go anoint a new king to replace Saul, he sends him to Jesse's household, and all of Jesse's sons, and, Je- and David's not there. David's in the field with the sheep. And all these sons are big strapping guys. They look great. You know, they have perfect skin, perfect hair, perfect teeth, you know, whatever, a six pack, I don't know. They look great. And Samuel goes down the list and he goes, well, that's got to be him. And God's like, that's not him. Oh, this has got to be him. No, that's not him either. And finally, we read this in 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God looks at the heart. He sees our conscience. He knows our thoughts from afar. He knows a word before it's even on our tongue. And he knows why it's there. Because none of us are Christians who are merely Christians outwardly. It's a matter of the heart, not appearance. We, you, me, we have to be really careful, really careful. It's easy to say, well, I'm not as bad as them. Well, I'm not doing the stuff that he's doing. Ugh. No, we're doing worse because we know better. Because maybe we succumbed to an outward morality. Maybe we had this pretended neutrality. Well, is, is this is this right or wrong? Well, I really don't know, so it must be. I don't really know. Or I have a shallow spirituality. One of the deadliest things for people like me, pastors, is that your Bible study becomes an academic exercise that doesn't your do life. And you wake up a Pharisee saying like the guy, I'm not like that tax collector. I do this and I do that. It's the same for a Christian, for all Christians. God has raised you and I up for such a time as this. San Jose needs the gospel. Santa Clara County needs the gospel. And God has chosen to work through everyday people like you and not heads like me. But we have to be careful not to fall into these traps of respectable sins. Not to look down on somebody, but look across the table at a sinner who was like us, that we grieve for, that we mourn for, that we love with whom we deal with great patience, the way God shows us patience, praying and hoping that they don't mistake the patience that we show as our approval, the way that we don't take God's patience with us and our pet, private, personal, and subtle sins as God's approval. We're to be examples to them for the of God. We have to be aware of our own equally damaging and damning respectable sins. We have to for the sake of others. So what do we do with all this? We check ourselves. We, you know, communion. It's part of the thing of communion is to examine ourselves, to judge ourselves. We can't cut ourselves any slack. I say it again. God doesn't grade on the curve, and neither does the FAA. Why is that important? Because if if you got on a plane and the pilot said, you know, man, I I crater this thing about 20% of the time. They'd never, I wouldn't get on that plane, right? You know, God has called us to a higher standard. The FAA holds pilots to a higher standard, right? We're to be holy. We're to be like the master that died for us. We're to love sacrificially, not just when we feel like it, but when we don't feel like it. It's a high calling. So what do you do with all this? Let me just give you some suggestions. Number one, remember that we all needed the same cure. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God, Right? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Remember, remember where you were before God found you and saved you. Two, remember that we were all in the same boat. We're saved through no fault of our own. We can't take credit for our salvation. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We can't buy it. But God has bestowed it on us. And so we're not morally superior. We're not better than they are. Which brings us to the next. one. Remember that you have no reason for moral superiority. No reason to look down on anybody, but only to look up to God and intercede for them. Fourth, remember to speak the truth in love. The the truth spoken without love isn't truth at all. It's a weapon. And which brings us to the next one. Remember to speak with grace and truth when you talk to somebody. When you're inviting somebody to church, when you're telling somebody about Jesus, you're trying to coax chorus and kid them to come to Good Friday, the scramble or Easter Sunday, or just to come to church or just to listen to the gospel. Remember to speak with grace and truth. And what I mean by that is this, because as human beings, we like to go to either one side or the other, but to the extreme. It's all grace and no truth. Well, God loves you and he has a very special plan for your life. Well, you know, that depends, right? We're all God's creatures. We're not all his children. And if you reject God, that plan ain't so great. There's no room for cheap grace, okay? At the same time, the truth is not turn or burn, right? It's grace and truth. You know, we either like to be all grace or all truth, and Christ wants us to be full of grace and truth just like he was. And speaking of Christ, last and not least, remember who you represent right? We're to be salt and light. We, we bear, it says in Acts that they They call them Christians for the first time at Antioch. And the word Christian means little Christ. We are Christ followers. As Christ followers, we follow him looking to seek and save that which was lost. We deny ourselves daily, take up our cross and follow him. We have no rights. We're better than no one. And we've been called to follow the crucified, resurrected, and we need to represent. So beware of respectable sense don't feed them don't keep them in the closet and pull them out every so often and play with them like you know jack stones or whatever your favorite toy was growing up get rid of them put them off get because lives depend on it if you want to change this world one soul at a time you've got to be one first so you can bring one later and build them up in the faith let's pray father father this is a hard passage lord i look into it and i see the ugliness of my own sin the evidence of my own arrogance. And I just pray, Father, that all of us would reflect on the grace that we, that we would not be like the ungrateful servant who was forgiven much but would not forgive any. We don't want to be like the Pharisee. We want to be like the tax collector. So Lord, I pray that you would use us. Use your word and use us for your glory, for the good of others, and for our own growth. We pray and ask thee. amen.
0: Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. From everyone here at Hillside Church, we just want to say how grateful we are that you've chosen to spend this time with us today studying God's Word. If you have questions about today's program, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to log on to our website, hillsidechurch.org where you can find more messages and content from Pastor Keith in the Sermons Archives tab, as well as links to Pastor Keith's blog and the new Out of My Mind podcast. You can also connect with us to see the many things happening here at Hillside Church, including our service times, ministry opportunities, and our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and more can be found by visiting the website hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again right here next time on Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you and keep you. And thanks for listening.